there is going to be the ups and downs and try not to overreact and um, nobody plays great every week but but I think for juniors you know most of them want to play D1 golf they want to maybe play professionally so stay on the path of getting better right so if you get better a little bit each each week or each month we're going to be fine This is The Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Rick. We know a little bit about your instruction, seen a little bit about you on Twitter, but before we get to your instruction, everything like that, we'll start a little bit with your playing career, not just your professional playing career. Let's go back to the beginning. Tell us how you got into the game of golf. Well, my father uh, was a real good player, still, still playing. He's 90 years old. He introduced me to the game. I started out caddying for him, and then... Because I had my shot to play when I was about 10 or 11, and I uh, was fortunate to grow up at a, a member of a private club here in Seattle, and uh, fell in love. I played a lot of other sports, but uh, fell in love with kind of the individual challenge of golf, and I was fortunate. I kind of experienced some rapid rapid improvement, but picked up the game pretty quick, and was off to the races. Very cool. As far as like getting started, you said you got good fast and improved quickly. Were you taking lessons at that time, or was it just something that naturally happened? And when did you start playing actual tournaments? Yeah, I, our head golf professional, Ron Hagen, uh, basically, he gave me a couple lessons, showed me how to hold the golf club, and that's back in an era when not so much the club outside the hands, but just toe up to toe up, kind of half swings and things like that, and learned how to hold the club properly and, and play a lot of golf. And I, I did start competing just within a year and a half, two years, and when I was 12, I won the Seattle City Junior Tournament in my age, in my age bracket and went on from there. What were some of the other competitions that you played in? I know today it's all about the AJGAs and other tours like that, but what were kind of the junior tournaments that you played in? Yeah, so being out here in Washington State, we had Washington Junior Golf Association was actually established about the time I got into it. So... I was one of the first uh, state junior champions. American Junior Golf Association back then was just starting, believe it or not, and it was kind of more in the southeast and hadn't made its way around the country. So I never played in an AJGA tournament. So my my schedule basically was a summer schedule. It wasn't year-round tournaments. It was summer, so it was a, we had four what they call sub-district tournaments. Washington Junior Golf Association, and then a district championship, and then our state championship, and then try to qualify for the the national junior stuff, U.S. Juniors, PGA National Junior, which I happened to win uh, when I was sixteen. So anyway, so it was a compared to the kids I work with now who are playing year round and playing tournaments all year long, it was quite different back then. I'm sure it's a different competitive landscape now, and you know a lot of kids specialize young right now when did you figure out that this was what you wanted to spend your life doing because you ended up going on to BYU and playing a decent bit there and winning a bunch of stuff in your time yeah it was I played other sports when I got to junior high school I started doing a little bit of bench sitting and basketball so that was probably you know I was a decent athlete but that wasn't probably my future and pretty good baseball player played that up through I was about 13 years old and so I you know as far as that kind of early specialization thing. I, I stayed athletic and played other sports. And it was about that age when I, I the, the success I was having started kind of, I started fantasizing about doing some big things, playing the game and was having the kind of success that sort of supported those, supported those dreams. So when I was about 13 or so, 14 years old, that's when I, you know, started, you know, like every kid, imagine playing at the Masters and doing all those big things. Around the time that you won the, National Junior PGA Championship, did you view yourself as one of the best juniors in the country, or did that success come as a little bit of a surprise? No, I think I I was very confident, and, and I was fortunate to have the success to kind of back it up. So there was, you know, I, it's, it's tough, because the track I had, which was kind of just jumping from each level to the next level, no problem, and kind of pretty straight line of improvement and you know i know it's not typical for most but 
yeah, I kind of wanted every level, every age group and uh, all the way up to when I got on tour. So easy to, to sort of have the confidence stepping into the big arena. So whether it be national junior tournament or even first time playing at the masters is now where it kind of showed up. Yeah. You know, I didn't share with anyone, but Phil had a chance to win the darn thing. So you know, it's like, yeah, I don't know how you manufacture that stuff, but I was pretty confident. So what would, uh, what were some of the things that you would attribute that, you know, linear progression to throughout your whole career? Yeah, I, I would say that at that stage, it happened later, but at that stage, I, I didn't have the interference of too much information or competing ideas. And I just, the game was real simple for me then. It was about hitting golf shots. And I grew up on golf course, hilly, trees, slope greens, all sorts of different things. So I think that that environment, sort of just the challenges it presented and without a driving range, I played a lot of golf. Just, I think that variability, adaptability, all those different things. I just, I didn't feel like there was a situation I wasn't going to be ready for. Just learned how to improvise. Obviously I developed skills to, to pull that stuff off. Absolutely. One of the things we'll jump a little bit ahead, just talking about what you do now. You're an instructor now and we'll talk more about that, but that ability to adapt and improvise, is that something that you work on with your students? And if so, how do you try to help them get that? Well, the first and most important thing is getting them out of the golf course. And, you know, not ever, I mean, it's still, it's still a challenge in this game, right? That um, pandemic and post-pandemic boom, has, boom hasn't helped. I mean, golf courses are just jammed, jammed full of players. So certainly getting on the golf course a lot is something that I preach. And then in practice, a lot of creativity and variability. I know there's um, those that don't see things the way I do, but but uh, sure, we can go out and play one particular shot all day long and, and tear it up. But but I do, I love seeing, seeing players try to create golf, different golf shots. And uh, so obviously a flat lie off a mat, which is, you know, in our climate, that's what most people are practicing on. But how, how are we going to learn it, that other stuff if we're not on a downhill side hill line, you know, heavy rough and stuff like that. So, yeah. So it's, I guess, get out there, play a lot. I've actually talked to people out of purchasing lessons for me and said, hey, if, if your budget's limited, I'd rather see you spend the money on the kid playing. So, I'm yeah, pretty strong believer. I know out of all the coaches we've talked to, some of them only teach juniors. Well, some of them, you know, would prefer to teach club members and make money that way. Is there a specific group that you focus on teaching or does it matter? I haven't focused on, on any particular segment. I feel like the, the toughest ones for me now are beginners. Yeah, I feel like probably my specialty is taking where somebody's currently at and getting them to the, the next step. And it's certainly this is a tough game to learn. And yeah, you know, I'd still do teach teach beginners, but uh, yeah, I think that's it, it's harder for me, right? So, but no, I I I think that I do feel like I could help a player get to you know well the top top ten in the world, right? I understand the game well enough and know about enough about performance, but that just that opportunity hasn't presented itself. But uh, I would say that, that probably my sweet spot now is the the frustrated YouTube, Instagram, serious golfer and uh, helping them find their way out of the mess they've, they've, they've climbed into. I want to go into later, you know, about your time on the tour and playing in all the majors. But for now, I want to ask, how do you use your experience of playing on the PGA Tour to help different types of golfers? I think probably at its core is that mistakes I made, right? Try to save people from going down the path that I went, went, went down later in my career. But, but I, I feel like I've been curious to understand how, try to figure out how I did it. So they could ask that question, like why you were, you know, cause I had that success. It's a great question, but just to understand uh, the fact that I played at a high level helps me to understand that there's more to it than, you know, forearm, externally rotating and, and whatever else, right. That 
those things all matter. And I'm a swing coach, but you know, there's a lot of different, different stuff to look at. That's one golf tournaments and made a ton of money. So I just feel like having played at the high level with, with a kind of a bowed left, a wrist inflection at the top, we call it now, but that, that I thought was a wart and at the time, at the time. And then now I realize, well, that's one way to do it. So, so I just think that knowing that, that it's a complex organization of a lot of different things that lead to good scoring. And I feel like I understand what those are because I played at a high level. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about, you said things went wrong later in your career and you found yourself down a road that maybe you didn't want to be going down. Before we talk about that, let's talk about early in your career. All, as far as like college goes, you went to BYU. You were two-time All-American there. You played in the Masters and the U.S. Open, I believe, and I think you were low M in both of those. Tell us a little bit about your college to early pro career progression and kind of the way things went for you. Yeah, so I I had the successful junior career and then chose to to go to BYU at the time. This is back in the early 1980s. Oh my gosh, time ago. But uh, at that time, BYU was uh, perennially in the top five ranked teams in the country, right? Pretty pretty much a powerhouse and. And I had a great opportunity to compete against great players and, and both externally and even on my team. And I got off to a really good start, won qualifiers my fall of my freshman year, just kind of blew it up and got out there. And I think my freshman year finished top 10 individually, like 10 or 11 times out of 13 tournaments. And just so kind of got rolling right away. We won the NC Toys my freshman year as a team. And then had success in the summer, summer amateur circuit, won the Western amateur medalist, won the match play and got, I think, to the semifinals, U.S. amateur. And so just, you know, again, the track of, you know, having success on the big stage, it's doing well. And uh, so now I'm projecting forward, right? I, I put in my, I stayed for four years, got my degree. And, and then back then, Maybe it was a better system, but there was no Corn Ferry Tour. There was no intermediate. You know, Q School was directly to the PGA Tour, and I missed my first year. Played so many tour events, made some money, got it, got through U.S. Open qualifying, and was in contention on the weekend. And it fell back to ninth place, I believe, and made some money uh, enough to kind of get rolling, get some temporary status on the PGA Tour, and kind of then seventeen years later, I was done. But uh, so anyway, that was. Kind of a again that straight line. Obviously, there's ups and downs uh, through throughout that process. But for the first first half of that that career, so to speak, I just kind of kept, kept being the golfer I was, and then had my first kind of longer term struggle and kind of made some poor choices. Didn't help. I'd love you to go into detail about first of all qualifying for that first U.S. Open as a young pro, and then being in contention, what that felt like some of the big names that you were up against and ultimately, you know, what caused you to kind of fall back a little bit? Well, your listeners should have to fire up Google and start Googling some names, figure out who were these guys I played against. And uh, so the qualifying process, I can't remember exactly where I played locals and sectionals and that sort of thing, but we were playing uh, that year, 1985, it was at Oakland Hills outside of Detroit and got off to shot 69 day one and good start. Got 67 day two, pretty darn good. That's off to a good start. And, and so I was in second to last group. So the penultimate group, as we call it. At that time, I believe the names that were up there, I think TC Chen from Taiwan was either leading that at that moment or yeah, maybe it's the final round. And then Dave Barr from Canada, Andy North, all I played with Gary Player. But anyway, I think Fred Couples, maybe even Seattle's on. Uh, might have been up there as well, but so anyway, I, I was in the second to last group, both on Saturday and Sunday, as a twenty-two-year-old kid that didn't have his tour card yet. Anyway, did drop back to I think ninth place or so. Yeah, it was a great experience, and uh, as the U.S. Open typically is, tough conditions, and I'm glad there wasn't another day. My score kept getting a little higher that weekend, but. Uh, Anyway, so that that really launched everything, and uh, I had previous experience playing in U.S. Open as an amateur, and 
kind of forward. And I had played in a couple of masters. So that stage wasn't entirely new. So I think I was pretty well prepared to perform that week. Normally when we talk with yes, we focus on them. And you said, we you know, we'd have to Google some of those names you played with. I had a question about in 1986, obviously you played in the masters and you were T35 and we don't want to, we don't want to focus on what Jack did there, but tell us a little bit about your time there. And that was your first time at the masters as a pro. Tell us like how it was different from, if it was different from when you were playing as an am and anything that kind of was unique that week for you. I played earlier on the day and I'm not so sure I was on property when the roars um, of Jack's back nine were happening, but yeah, I wish I had a better story for you about, about all that. But uh, to me, you know, it, it wasn't really that different playing as a professional. Played there in 83 and 84 as amateur. You know, just it's a, my experience there is that the different type of, of tension that you might feel than a U.S. Open, I, I feel like. Augusta National, you're kind of on the edge. There's a small difference between balls coming off the green, going in the water, and that sort of thing. Whereas back then, the US Open was hack it out of the rough and bogey yourself to death. So, but anyway, it was, it's a special place to play, but it was a player has a different experience the, than the patrons. Uh, players, even before my time, the Masters guys lit it up even more because it was actually. Not long before I played where the greens were Bermuda, slow Bermuda, and uh, plays, played hard and fast. And yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen any of those those videos. Back, go back to late 70s or early 80s. The guys are smashing 20-footers. So, <laughs> But anyway, yeah, that was a special event. Well, one of the greatest moments in, in golf in my lifetime was Nicholas went in there, 86. Very cool. So you, put, you played in those tournaments, as we talked about. You felt confident. And then you also had a few wins on tour early in your career. So that, uh, when you played in the U S open, that was 1985. And then the next year you got your first PGA tour win. Tell us a little bit about what it felt like to get there and what went on that week for you. Yeah. Uh, interesting. So they, we played, they just wrapped up the senior event up on the same course at enjoy golf club and golf course in, uh, Endicott, New York. So it was the BC Open. Uh, it's now the Champions Tour plays that same track. The year before, I had played there, and and I think it was kind of just a, a gloomy week, fall week, cold and foggy, and some rain. And I, I played poorly, and so I wasn't really looking forward to going back in '86, but I needed to, and so show up and. You know, you just, sometimes you guys know, sometimes you play good, great golf when you're not expecting it. And sure enough, I went out there and got off to a great start and just kind of rolled and had confidence and ended up working my way up into a spot where and I had held the lead all week and, and kind of hung on. So obviously up to that point, I finished off tournaments before, you know, obviously it wasn't against PGA Tour players, but. I did know what to do and, and kind of what to trust. And, uh, and you might get into this, but feels, right? So it's like I know at 18th tee, there's a couple ponds up the left side and thick trees down the right. You got to put it in play. And, you know, at that point, there's a feel I had, uh, kind of the anti-left feel. And but anyway, so I had developed those through the years, so it allowed me to play well down the stretch and pull that one off. Does your strategy change going into a final round when you have the lead compared to maybe if you're chasing the leader? Not really. I, I, I typically play pretty aggressively, meaning, I mean, I'm not playing as an idiot out there, but you know, there's, I think there's a right decision, you know, whether you've got, you're tied to the lead or you're three back. It's about executing shots and making putts. But no, I, I would say that I, I'm one that would look at the leaderboard. You know, some people I guess I don't, it doesn't make any sense in the world to me. wouldn't look to know where he's standing in a tournament, but there's great players that I supposedly do that. But I would, I, I didn't feel like I'd kick it into gear, but I like to know where, where I stood. And, but my 
you know, I'm not going to change anything about what type of shots I hit or how I hit them. And uh, you know, I think that I'm pretty intuitive when it comes to, you know, what's the smart shot to play at the time. Now we, we've got all sorts of stuff to help folks with that and the course management analytics and everything. But I think I pretty much did everything by today's book. As far as the feels go of a final round, you know, um, obviously going to be very nervous, have a lot of adrenaline going. What were the, some of the things that you did to harness that? Yeah, I, I think that, that I'd remind, remind myself that, that, hey, it's not, it's not the end of the world, so to speak, right? Having some perspective. Obviously, it's a big deal. That's, that's something that nobody needs to tell us, right? You guys have played competitive golf. Nobody needs to remind you that this shot matters, or this round matters. You know, there's, we certainly have, I think we're, we're more well-informed now when it comes to mindset, you know, heart rate, brainwave activity, all that different stuff. So, so today's players are certainly benefiting from sort of all the training we can do now. But, uh, but I think that I, I had a balanced life. I think priorities in my life other than just golf and, but that, that's not to say there weren't times when, you know, the heart's racing and everything else. And, and I think that in order to manage that is, and I still use this in my coaching today for every player, obviously the tournament player, it's more applicable, but, but that, you know, you are going to hit, you're going to have to execute golf shots when you're scared or your heart rate is high and much as we work on that. So I typically try to build from a technical standpoint, you know, somebody's golf swing to the point where, yeah, they can be scared to death and the tidal wave of emotion comes rolling through and they can put it play so um, i think i was always pragmatic in that way and so i was pretty prepared to to execute good golf shots even though i was scared to death executing good golf shots under pressure is tough and as you said you did it well there but you mentioned that later in your career you felt like you went down the wrong road tell us a little bit about what road you feel like you went down and the results of that i'll get the years mixed up but but I, I had a stretch, first extended slop, let's call it. You know, a stretch where missing most, if not all, the cuts and went on for a longer period of time than ever experienced before. And you know, I mentioned Ron Hagen was the local pro, showed me how to hold the club and you know, a few lessons from him, but I'm many years removed from that at that point. And, and sure enough, somebody says, well, you need to go see so-and-so, you know? And so I... I Decided to, you know, fly across the country and spend time with a, a new coach, a new swing coach. And when when a player is playing poorly, they're very vulnerable, right? I mean, it's like we're all ears, you know, and our our self self confidence is low. We're not believing in things we did in the past and the whole thing. And so, so I I bought into changing changing my backswing and changing the wrist position at the top of my swing, and that was a long arduous process. Very, I put in. I worked so hard and it was a matter of quite a few months working on it. I got, man, man, my swing, I was proud of how it looked when I got done, but I had no idea how to hit it. So, yeah, you change somebody's club face orientation, you know, somebody's had success and put in a gazillion hours doing it one way. And even though you can make an argument, hey, well, that position's better. You know, I've got to figure out how to deliver club face at the bottom now from a different position. Yeah, you know, my career went on for a handful of years after that. Actually, my second win came after that, but but I wasn't as as good a ball striker as I was when I was seventeen years old. So so I'm very very careful about making changes with good players. There's got to be a super strong reason to do so. When have you had players come to you that needed that were good and needed a change? And you said you're careful with that. How how exactly have you approach that with them and how do you make sure that you're not inserting yourself more into the equation than necessary yeah that's a good question i i basically start with looking at okay what are, what are their stated goals you know usually and i'm pretty comfortable to be around so they'll share their dreams I, say, Man, I love huge i had big ones too and i think okay can they achieve those with what they've got you know is there something like i mean i don't know i think that's somebody looking at a business, right? It's like, what, you know, if the earnings aren't with it, is it a revenue issue? Is it an expense issue, right? So I think when people look at people's golf games, it's like, 
hey, do you need 120 miles per hour club speed to achieve goals? Or are we good with where we're at? So the speed training part of it is, are we making solid contact? If not, why? Is there something biomechanically that's going on? Is set our mass at the club out of whack? You know, and so so looking at it very you know systematically, and it's like, well, you know, we can find examples. Quite frankly, the three of us of all sorts of orientations and and different swings that have struck the ball beautifully. And it's like, yeah, Scotty Scheffler's lead and stroke scheme approach everything, and look at that move, right? And so I just feel like. It's, I can't be lazy. Like I don't just teach the same thing to everybody, right? Everybody's an individual. So we're going to look at, look at their golf game and, and, uh, and then there's a, there's sort of the right time of year to do it potentially. But I would say if I have a fault, I'm a little overly hesitant to make changes, right? There's been a few times where I asked, gosh, we should have, we should have had perform surgery early on, but I, I've learned from that. But, uh, you know, it's like, it's part of it's framing, framing it, you know, having an open discussion with the player. This is what the process might look like. And I think there's times where people just need to shut down tournament golf for a while, you know, and these poor juniors that are in this development stage playing so many darn tournaments, there's never a good time to actually, you know, make changes if needed. So but that anyway, that's, that's kind of my approach. I had, I had no, an awful lot of time to do that, right? I just played summer junior tournaments and then, college we'd shut it down right and i had winter time in utah and whatever else catch up catch up on academics and other things in our life but uh yeah there's there's a time and a place but i do i think too many folks believe this one has got to look a certain way and and i feel bad for them because often they don't improve and they they actually get worse speaking of juniors and you know playing an entire summer full of tournaments how do you debrief with a junior golfer after a tournament how do you guys you know evaluate how they played how their mental game was and you know maybe where they're where they should have been yeah so you know i don't specialize with juniors but i'm certainly working with a fair number of them currently working with more probably more and a college age you know, amateurs and some some young juniors that, but i i want them to learn for themselves so i'll kind of lead pretty Socratic. Hey, what do you think? All type of thing. And I'd love to watch them play more. I I do that. I'll days off. I'll drive a few hours to watch them play in competition. It's, it's not the best move financially to do that, but you know, we'll have interaction. We'll ask, okay, so what do you think? Yep. Do you think the problem is right? And you know, when they see two or three doubles follow, you know, getting ticked off, you know, that sort of thing, right? So there's, but some of that too is just to get it recognized that depending on their age, there's a maturing process, right? That, you know, 12 year old boy is going to, should be probably different than a 17 year old junior golfer, right? So that, so I try not to, you know, I guess a long term approach, I guess, is what I would say is that, yeah, it's disappointing, you know, that you shot 77, but what can you learn from it? what needs to get better and and then i feel like there listen there's fluctuations in golf right i mean this this age of analytics everybody all of a sudden is screaming about how great so-and-so's putting you know 7.4 strokes game putting at the u.s open it's like yeah but for the year they're they're 130th right so i mean it's just like there's going to be the ups and downs and try not to overreact and um, nobody plays great every week, but but I think for juniors, you know, most of them want to play D1 golf. They want to maybe play professionally, so stay on the path of getting better, right? So if you get better a little bit each each week or each month, we're going to be fine. If I'm aspiring to get better, play it at a higher level, whatever that might be, whether I'm a junior wanting to play college, college player wanting to play, play professionally, or a professional player wanting to play on a higher level tour, Tell us about how you structured your relationship with your students as far as how many lessons maybe you want to take with them, the format of that lesson, the time, all of that. Give us a little bit of insight into how you try to work the relationship so that they can get the most value out of it. Yeah, so I don't have at this point, you know, sort of the, 
you know, real formal, formal program for that. Um, I probably cause I, I'm more uh, teaching broadly, you know, golfers of all different abilities and everything else. So I haven't really, you know, not effective, effectively a tour coach, whatever that means, or, or specialized in juniors. So I don't have, you know, the junior academy where kids lined up, you know, four at a time and, and all that. One day I might, but so, so it's, it's, we'll have our sit downs and, and discuss what works. You know, some families, it's, it's a budgetary thing. How often can I see the kid? And I do, I'm trying to make a living at this, this craft, but, you know, I would say that you know, we got to make sure that, that paying attention to all the aspects of the game and it's hard. It's hard to be there all the time. And, you know, in this age of specialists, you know, that there's a lot of juniors that might feel like they want to see somebody different for, or I should say the parents want their kids to, to, to see a specialist for certain things. So when that, when that's the case, I try my best, you know, I use the coach now app, but to try to pull, pull everyone together. So the communication is, is clear. So, the, you know, let's say swing coach is, is suggesting a change before the tournament and the sports site doesn't know about it. And, you know, whatever you get, you can get people twisted up, but, uh, but I kind of serve all those roles for most of, most of my clients. I've, I've been trained in most of those disciplines to some depth and, uh, just simply I'm kind of out here, not on an Island, so to speak, but. Seattle, Washington is not you know, the center of the golf universe, but, uh, but I'm just, I, I feel like it all works together very holistically and that sling changes affect kind of mindset that affects, you know, obviously if our bodies aren't healthy or not strong or not mobile, it affects us. So it's, uh, but I, I, I work with every, back to your question, I would say that competitive players, it's a very, very individual kind of case by case thing. Some of them don't need much help at all. Quite frankly, I just need to say, hey, you're fine. Go play. Going back to the the um, scheduling thing that we were talking about, if I was a junior golfer or even, you know, a college-level player or, or a professional golfer and I came to you and I have all these tournaments lined up, you know, 10, 15 tournaments for the summer, what what would you dial me back to? How many tournaments do you think would be ideal to play? I'd say if you're, if you're rocking and rolling and it's like, you just lighten it up. We've got young gal up here, Angela saying, I don't work with her, but she's 14 years old. She'll be playing in the U S women's open. She's winning everything. as a junior and as an amateur in this area, you know, it's like, you know, keep going, right? If you're a junior, that's listen, you're not good enough yet. <laughs> and like, it, you're better off playing no turn, <laughs> you know, then than 10 or 15 lousy. I mean, I, I don't know. I think some people need reps to play in tournaments, but, but now you're affecting confidence as well as you're not getting any ranking points or whatever. So, so it'd really be situational, but I would say that when, when are you going to get better? You know, if, if that's part of it, like, and can you do it when you're playing in tournaments? It's just, sure, sure. You can learn things. You can improve while you're playing golf tournaments. So very individual, but I would say that most, I would say most young players play too many. You know, generally, and that but there's this darn, you know, recruiting process, the whole thing, right? That's, it's kind of a, a two headed monster. And, and, uh, but, but I, I feel like if a, if a junior is improving and they don't play that many tournaments, a coach is going to notice. And whether you play at Stanford or Georgia or Belmont or whatever, right? That it's, you know, it's about continuing to improve and, and to play good golf. And I just feel like sometimes the cart gets before the horse a little bit. Families just spend all the money flying around the country to play junior tournaments and playing poorly. And I just feel like you know, developing as a player is way more important during that phase than acting like a tour player playing tournaments all year. And what would you say the most important things to do to in order to develop yourself as a player are? Well, I think that I want I want players to be able to uh, think internally as to what's going on rather than now to ask a coach. 
you know, as far as, you know, what do I need to work on or, you know, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm certainly, you know, I know more than most of them, but, but I think that I'm, I'm all about developing the individual and, and sort of working my, my way out of the job. And, uh, so being aware of, Hey, is, is, do I have the shots around me? You know, I mean, you know, even, you know, you can use an app to tell you where you stand, you know, as far as, you know, how you're performing. But, but I think just look around. Is there some other kid that's, you know, a better putter than you, or is there somebody else that, you know, hits approach shots better or wedge shots or whatever, but. Yeah, I think I think maybe maybe helping the player to understand what the standards are, where they're trying to head. But you know, again, back to my like first comments when we got started here is, you know, just gotta play a little. And and I just feel like there's most most of us don't have practice facilities where you're hitting pro B ones off of grass and at good targets with launch monitor knowing how far it carries that sort of stuff. I learned all that jazz out there playing golf nine holes late in the evening, you know, before dark. And yeah, okay, that was, I was 86, 86 yards away and I hit the, you know, kind of three quarter, 54 degree. And it, oh, look at my pitch marks five yards past. I know I carried it. I mean, it's just right that I just feel like there's a lot to be learned on the golf course and get out there, play a lot and, and pay attention. That's a lot of where. Cooper and I learned it too. We didn't, we got, we practiced a lot. We played a good amount. We also, those late evenings, be able to grab a bunch of golf balls, go out on the course when it was empty and mess around on the greens and try to try out new things and get to see how the ball reacts on high quality greens in situations. And I think that that kind of development is important for players. It sounds like, you know, you're passionate about players getting better. You want them to improve. And I think everybody does and you're passionate in part about putting yourself out of job you want them to be able to not necessarily need you because you want them to get that much better to where they can help manage themselves you want them to be not never come back to you for a lesson but to be able to help self-regulate because you don't want them to be out there in a college tournament or out there on at a tour event and be like oh i need my coach here right now Tell us a little bit about your philosophy as far as getting them to be self-sustaining to a degree and not always be like, uh-oh, I just hit a 30-yard draw. Oh, I hit two 30-yard draws. Oh, I hit five 30-yard draws in a row. I can't stop it. I need to call a coach, and he needs to tell me how to get less flexion in my left wrist to be able to get rid of that 30-yard draw. Yeah, you described it that you can't phone a friend there on the fifth tee after hitting three snap books, right? So it's like, so I, whether it's a tournament player, I know that's kind of your guys' focus here, but 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 it's it's for all players, like helping them to understand what they need to, not more than, you know, so I think a lot, of, we've got a lot of golfers that know a lot more than they need to know about the golf swing, right? The technical stuff and all the terminology and, and everything else, but, but I want them to understand cause and effect. They look up and they see the ball flying a certain way, They've kind of got their their troubleshooting co- troubleshooting section where they, okay, well, you know, it's is that all club face or was that path? Did they come over the top, so to speak? Whatever. Well, a decent player should feel the difference between club face just absolutely flipping the heck, you know, left, you know, or you know, halfway left. Those are two entirely different things, and they should be able to feel the difference. So then okay what's the you know my my players we're going to train them okay what is your counter shot so you know it might be go out okay you're you know you normally play right to left listen you're going to go left to right or feel like you're left to right to get through this round and so so we want want them to and it doesn't have to be perfect right i just feel like you know there's times you kind of hang on and scrape it around and you know you know, the bad days of 71, not a 78. So, yeah, I do want them to be be self-reliant, but certainly there's time that the process goes on. I think that, you know, whether it's you're a fan of a Butch Harmon or a Chris Como, or two different approaches, but 
I think that you know, coaching we sh- as coaches should be evolving. Like I may come to, I may have come to the table with you know certain skill set or understanding, and I want to expand that. So I'm constantly learning and growing. And but I think the player we need to say, okay, how much do they really need? I, I mean, right? So people criticize guys like me, former players that we start coaching. It's like, well, they don't really, you know, and so or their feels aren't real and whatever else. And I acknowledge that. That's why you know, I've been studying this stuff for you know twenty years. And and but feel is all the player really has. You know, it's like when it's time to go, right? You guys know that. That's like whatever. I mean, so I go ahead and put a put a word word combo out there, high draw. Like you guys probably both can feel that in your body, kind of the movement, whatever. And so so players need to develop that. And nowadays, a lot of kids or young people are growing up with launch monitors. And so everything is associated with numbers. But but ultimately, 148, my 8 iron, what's that feel like? You know, kind of stuff like that. So, but anyway, so yeah, the training, training players to, uh, it's a sport. It's about getting the ball from point A to point B, lowest number possible. And, you know, when it's time to roll, you know, I, I'm not a fan of super rigid pre-shot routines and just, I feel in, you know, watching some people putt is excruciating. And I just feel like, you know, you have 50 bits of information per second you can process in your pre-foul. What are you going to put that attention on? How do you need to use that? And I just feel like people are. You know, that's their computer round. They've used it up and on the wrong stuff. So, you know, games getting way, way, way too complex. I'm all about science and embracing it. But I think that when we start figuring out all the different aspects, it becomes pretty simple. And you know, you're either a good athlete or you're not. You can hit it solid or you can't. I mean, it's so, um, some of those basic skills are, and then, Darn it, there's 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 good luck and there's bad luck too. You know, there's people that played their best golf outside of Q school. And it's like, well, good luck. Go try to shoot sixty one on Mondays and, and but it's yeah. A lot of traffic on the highway in competitive golf, but I prefer simple the lots of time playing the game on the golf course. And I'm not always there, but I definitely take my students out on the course for I think that's a really good point. And, you know, obviously, while it's clear that technology has made players a lot better, there's definitely lots of people that are bogged down with too much information. How do you get people to, you know, develop their feels and focus on keeping it simple? Yeah, I I think I alluded to it earlier. It's like, yeah, try something crazy. You know, how low can you hit that eight iron? How, How high can you start it right of flag X and curve it towards whatever and just you know understanding developing cause and effect and um, you know there's I don't know I think that that body track or the launch monitor and all that stuff and use it when needed but I just feel like I'll tell you a little story I uh, worked with a D1 player and uh, our first session together I mean just like so many of those guys right just beautiful looking perfect swing and flushing it each time and hit this high draw eight iron or whatever. So, okay, can you can you hit a different shape shot? Can you hit it kind of low and hold it or feel like it's a little fade? Well, I can try it. <laughs> hit it perfect. You know, I said, well, how far how far do you think that went? Had no idea. Right? So, I mean, there's just, in this day and age, you know, these great golf swings, like, you get on that golf course. I'm not saying you have to it every different way but all of a sudden you show up and the wind's blowing 25 miles per hour what are you going to do do you have a low shot against the wind or ride the wind and i just feel like a lot of there's a lot of folks learning in studios and then you know it's not a science project all the time you know you've got to get out there and you're going to go out in the wilderness or give you a pocket knife and there's bear and everything else so yeah i'll see you in two days survive you know you got to survive with you got your golf clubs, you don't have track, but you don't have, can't video your swing. So, but just, I'd say 
different shots, you know, hit different shots and you may or may not use them, but I just feel like it heightens kind of a cause and effect, club face awareness. You know, I just, I'd say that club face is king by the best players in the world. The ball strikes the center of it and they deliver it pointed in the right direction. So sometimes in training, everybody's thinking about the stuff behind the ball instead of in front of it. And uh, there was a, uh, years ago, David Ferretti had a studio program and uh, had guests in there and he had three of the Harmon brothers in there. And they were all discussing golf swing and everything else. And at the end, as they were wrapping up, Verity said, okay, so let's just settle it once for all, once for all. Who's the best coach? You know, kind of figuring out, they'd argue which one of the three of them. All three of them in unison set the golf ball. So, you know, I just think that if people paid more attention to ball flight and understood what happened, okay, and don't have to turn to a coach, don't have to turn to a screen or, you know, a launch monitor, uh, I think a lot of golfers would be better off. So that sounds very old school. I'm not young, but you know, I've you know been learning and learning and learning more and more about technical things, and I I feel more confident than ever about the statement. I just that, you know how far do you follow the technology? Is every advanced everything that we can measure useful? You know, and it certainly is to the coach, but to the player. I'm afraid that. Too many people know too much and are paying attention to too much, too much tech. I think you know the most important thing you mentioned in there was when that, when that student that you had didn't know how far he hit it, and that's definitely something that you can work on with technology. But if people, if people took one thing from that, it just for me it would just be know how far you hit it, and if you do that, then you can't really, you're not going to get in too much trouble. Right. Yeah. And Cooper, I, I agree, but. I mean, there's like one club in, in the Seattle area that I'm aware of that has Pro B1s on it. I mean, so how are you going to work on distance control in the range rock? Right. I mean, I mean, they could set up track man or full swing or whatever all day long and that number is not legit. I mean, you go to people want to do track man combines. That's a waste of time. It's like, yeah. what right, you got to be, you got to go on the course. Uh, Right, exactly. So that's my point. You can get and pay attention out there. You got your range finder, whatever you're using. And uh, but I just think that people, you know, unfortunately, like our training grounds are just not set up, you know, typically to learn that skill you're talking about, which is how far do you hit it? You know, and so, yeah, finding the right way to do it. Normalization, they're getting better and better. The algorithms, algorithms are getting better and better, but cut one of those range balls in half and, and you'll see the problem. But so anyway, yeah, back on, back out on course. You don't do it. need to do a lot. Like, I mean, if I get out there, you know, this is tour events and we travel around in different climates to different elevations. And I mean, I hit two iron shots and I've recalibrated my yardages. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, I need iron carry. This is back on the day where right? we weren't getting 170 yard eight irons, but, you know, within two holes, the the morning practice round, I kind of knew what my yardages were. So, and that's just from playing and paying attention and and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's uh, those are important skills. And uh, where I teach, um, every afternoon, every single spot, every mat is full. People are getting balls, right? And you go to the short game area, and there might be two people. Nobody on the putting green and the first tee's wide open, you know? So it's like, there's a, there's a, there's a cost, you know, there's, it's expensive to play at this particular facility, but fact of the matter is too many people think they're going to find it, you know, hitting off a mat, you know, for you know, get 200 balls off a mat. There's a time for that, but the, somebody wants to play good tournament golf and that's what you guys are all about. Got to get out on that golf course as much as possible. And if that means you're out there till dark and that's the opportunity, you know, show me you care, get out there and do it. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to join us, Rick. The last question we ask every guest is the same. And for you, it's going to be a two-parter. So the last question is, 
if you go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? And in your case, since sometimes you work with juniors, if you could tell a junior golfer one thing, what would that one thing be? So for me, going back to junior, uh, I'd say, if I could tell myself, tell myself something, it's like, well, uh, it would be something along the lines of don't change. It's already good enough. I mean, I played some of my best golf and in that phase. And, and then advice to, to a junior golfer today would be, obviously, we talked about getting out the course and playing a lot. It's like, I'd say something like, hey, there's others that are obviously better than you at this point. But if you just keep improving, you know, just figure out, just get a little bit better, you know, each month. Be better next year than you are this year. And and then kind of you'll understand the process a little bit better. And it's easy to be impatient and panicked. Uh, we, we get, I've got some students I work with who are now, juniors in high school and if they haven't achieved stuff quite yet they're they're panicking right you gotta get a coach's attention now and so so that's a that's a tough scenario but just i'd say for a junior golfer it's just keep getting better a little bit better it doesn't have to be each day sometimes we don't feel like we improve but we are building something positive so put in the work and and have the long-term vision perfect well if people are looking to find you on social media or they potentially want to work with you tell them where they can find you and reach out to you yeah the easiest thing if if they know how to spell my last name which is f-e-h-r fair golf so fairgolf.com is the website and that's my handle on instagram and twitter so yeah i primarily teach in person here in the seattle area at the golf club at newcastle but uh, I do have some remote coaching options for folks don't live nearby that want to connect. Perfect. Be sure to give Rick a follow and that if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please subscribe and leave a rating. And if you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. This helps us get our message out to more people. And if you're trying to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at the tournament code and on Twitter at tournament code. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Look forward to diving in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament golf.